This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. And I, I was the king of razor blade editing back in the day. I mean, I was was really good at it. And the fastest blade in the West. I, yeah, I would have a band play three or four takes and say, okay, go to the pub and get a beer and come back in 45 minutes and I'll put a master take together. And it was great. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie. Co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we drew the map. When you got to the studio for the first time, but you know, did, did you did you think, now's my chance to be, you know, Keith Moon or the fantasy drummer that you always wanted to be. Did you ever do like the the inappropriate drum part? <laughs> uh, you know, I think in the first band I was in 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 high school, uh, Eclipse, um, we, we you know we played covers. We I, we had, we wrote one original song, but we played like uh, Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and whatever. Um, <laughs> I would try to play like fancy fills every now and then. But as soon as I, I went to Madison and uh, I, I joined a band uh, with Duke, um, who is in garbage now as a guitar. So I've known him for forever. You know, mm. we've been mates for a long time. And uh, I just started, I started playing more like Charlie or Ringo or Mick Fleetwood, you know, just really simple. And that's still how I play. And I think that has served me as a record producer because it's like the drums need to work with the song you know so yeah. if you see me play i play parts like i never rarely is there a spot in the song where i go oh i've got my a two bar fill here i can come up with anything up i yeah. once i sort of know the arrangement that's what i play and uh when i occasionally 
I have thrown in a weird fill, and the mm-hmm. whole band just looks at me like, "Whoa, <laughs> what just happened?" <laughs> like our bass player on this last tour, Daniel, or a couple moments ago, you should just throw in a crazy filler. I go, hmm, "Okay, so like a split second in the song, it's it's usually I can't do it when Shirley's singing because that'll it might throw her off." Right. Um, but I swear to God, I so I played a fill like at some bup, 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 a crazy triple fill over four or whatever, and everybody just like. Whoa, what happened? It's like someone <laughs> fell down the stairs. Such had two coffees a little yeah. earlier, right? <laughs> so I just, you know, I have an arrangement and I, I stick to it. So I like that's what I recognize in your playing and in your production is you understand the, the value and power of the drum hook. Yes. Yes. As, mu- as much as the guitar hook. Yeah. You know, I tell drummers that all the time if you've got a, a fill coming in or you're doing a turnaround thing and a beat, you know, make that groove the hook or, or come up with these parts and then repeat them. They become motifs in a song. The king of that is, is Dave Grohl. I mean, listen to his drums on Nevermind. Every part is thought out and repeated and it's and they're and they're hooky, you know, and that, that's such a great valuable lesson for young drummers to understand that. Oh, I think also, you know, it, it, it points to the, the the truth of the matter, which took me years to realize it's the truth. People listen to two things. On, on records they, they listen to the voice because that's the emotional content and they listen to the rhythm yeah and everything else is is you know frippery we've we've been sort of relegated to the back when we should actually be you know pretty much up at the front a lot of the time because that's what people react to yeah you know yeah. it's the voice and the drums yeah yeah it's it's the groove man yeah if, if, yeah because the voice if if you if you don't if the groove doesn't support the singer the song is not going to happen that's that's it you know I used to love if I heard a band or saw I'd love I love guitar entries I love intros but it's when the drums came in and the bass drum hit I thought that's what I want to do whatever that is I want to do it you know that thing is there yeah uh, in garbage we have taken little loops and things that sometimes we'll write songs to and on our first album we wrote stupid girl over that topper heaton groove wow uh, and the clash train in vain yeah and so it's got we sampled that and then i played drums and programmed drums and you know did overdubs on top of it and uh and then when we finished the record, our managers and the label said, well, we, we're not going to be able to get clearance on this, on the Clash sample. You know, we're going to have to pay for it and probably give some publishing up. So that you should try to recreate it. So I went back into the studio and I spent two days playing that drum part and trying to listen to it and EQ it, tune the snare, get the reverb and compression. And it sounded pretty good, but it didn't sound the same. And all of us in the band went, screw it, man. We love that, that Topper Heaton groove on Train in Vain. And so we said, call them up and let's work out a deal. And uh, to me, that's that groove and that bass line is what makes Stupid Girl such a, a powerful song, mm. you know? Yeah, no, it is. Once I think about it. And your drum fill. <laughs> and your, your snare fill. That's oh, the yeah. One. I love Yeah, that. right on. Can we just can we just pause a moment? Can we pause a moment and and give a big like, you know, for, for Topper because he's just like Topper's my he's my hero. It's one uh, train train of vein is fantastic. London Calling that whole record stylistically is just a brilliant tour de force. It's it's one of my it's in my top ten 
albums of all time. Oh. I had to come up with a, a like three or four months ago. I, I I was talking to a journalist and he asked me my top five drummers, and uh, one of them was Topper, and uh, another is Paul Thompson from Roxy Music. Yeah. yeah. I was the president of the Roxy Music fan club in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> there were only seven members, and I was a self-appointed president, but <laughs> giant Roxy fan. Um, and uh, I, I love Paul Thompson's playing because he, again, really simple. He did a lot of double time, like doo 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 double time the snare. Always came up with great fills. Great fills. I mean, the whole band, just they all had a unique style, Phil Manzanera and... And uh, it just it's like they were so good, and um, and we used to when the in the band that Duke and I were in in college before uh, we started Garbage, we played you know some of the covers that we did were Roxy covers, and they were always so much fun to play live. And uh, so anyway, much respect to to Paul also. Please let's shout out for Paul Thompson with his leopard skin uh, top, you know on uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anybody was like, shouldn't be wearing leopard skin, it was Paul Thompson on that. <laughs> but he knew it. But no, I saw Roxy Music, and they, it was later in the career, and they were on Polydor, so we we got like tickets to get in there, and right. it was Avalon, and they had like the two singers either side of Ferry on Wembley Arena. And it wasn't Paul Thompson. It was Alan White, I think, or it's another guy. He he wore shorts. He was very eighties, and they they went into Love Is the Drug, and I'm waiting for the Timbali fill. You know, the, <laughs> that's right. But so good, so good. Yeah. And it's like he didn't do it. He did. He chose to lose a hook of the song and not do it. That's the most important part of that song. Of course. That's it. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that's the most important part of the song. He did something spectacular. He did like a kind of, you know, multi-triplet skim around the kit that nobody could even visualize. Yeah, but it's not the Timbales. It's not the Timbales. Not the Timbales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, I missed, Roxy just came through LA last uh, September, October, and I had tickets um, our, our tour manager Levi um, also is very good friends with Brian Ferry, and uh, and he was one of the I think he was Brian's personal tour manager. Anyway, I was so excited to see them, <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, I got COVID oh. like four days before, oh. and I was like, think, will I be okay in four or five days? I felt like shit. I was fine, but like for three or four days, I just laid in bed and hacked and coughed. So I missed that show, and everyone said they were incredible. That the the band was was amazing brian ferry sang great and uh, apparently phil manzanera was on fire on guitar just yeah. like people were like holy shit he's a, a true rock guitar god you know it's funny how it, early recordings we we got close to phil manzanera we worked at his studio he had a place called the coach house and it was like the first time you went into and it wasn't a brown room it looked like a kind of very nice living room yeah with with kabuki things draped right. around, and you, so, and and it just changed the way you 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 felt about playing. Um, these guys knew what they were doing. Right, right. It wasn't shag carpet all over. Yeah. Did, was he wearing those those glasses with the lines across them, like the spider glasses or whatever? He, he was. He came. He was. No, he, he wasn't there. No, no, he didn't. Turn up. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd stopped living. <laughs>
Can I ask you, so you have a new album? Yeah, we're very excited because we, we started it sort of like at the beginning of COVID and, and Budgie, you know, I, well, I met Budgie when he came out here with um, John Grant and we, we hung out and uh, we started to do something. So he came back to LA and we worked up with Jack Knife up in uh, Topanga where he has his studio. Cool. And um, then Budgie just escaped just in time before the whole country, the whole world closed down for COVID, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. But we'd done the drum tracks and we had the loops in place and all the kind of... Yes. And we, we started farming tracks out to vocalists. We, we thought we, maybe... Because it was going to be an instrumental, really. We were, we were going to be quite happy with another Green World or something, you know, Evening Star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. But uh, James Murphy, LCD Sound System. Great, fantastic, yeah. So James came back and said... You know, I'd love to, but he took a while. Yeah, took a while. <laughs> and then Bobby Gillespie. Right on. Bobby came up with like three lyrics, melodies. Three three tracks, yeah. Cool. And all then we had just like kind of build the things around him, you know, and suddenly we had like a whole different project. And now we have to figure out how do we do it live? Because we want to go out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, you got to play some live shows, you know. Even if it's not a long tour, do like a show, some showcases in LA and New York and London or Berlin, whatever. So, well, we're setting up some ones for like LA, New York, and London uh, and trying to get as many people in as possible to do it. And then then we might do what we call the the suitcase tour, which basically me and Budgie living out suitcases. No, um, me and Budgie taking, you know, it on the road but with a lot of machines and stuff and maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. one or two extra people you know so yeah yeah, yeah. that's exciting are you going to do a video too or have you have you done a video that's why i'm dressed this way i'm going this is the i i, I kind of pulled this together quickly for a photo shoot a few months back and then we've done like a composite and that's the kind of press release photo a same photographer, but like in three different locations around the globe. Yep. And anyway, so I picked this up in the local little town here in France where I am uh, on Saturday <laughs> in the middle of the vegetable market to see the gents' outfitters. And I want a black tie and a white shirt. And they're going like, oh, je suis désolé, monsieur. C'est un relative. Malheureusement, il est mort. I said, no, no, it's for a photograph. <laughs> it's okay. I'm really happy. Nobody's died. Oh, les morts, yes. But it, it kind of feels, it makes me feel kind of like you know, formal and get, get. anyway, we're going to try and do a little um, self. We're doing everything on min minuscule budget uh, for videos. So it's yeah, because we spent all the money on the first video there we have a video on youtube right now for los angeles oh cool i'll check it out yeah i'll check it out yeah so uh, we'll see how we get on with our with our gopro and our ring camera we're gonna have yeah. like you know yeah. dis distorted noses everybody's doing it you know yeah So I was going to ask you, uh, Butch, because I, it was very early on in, in Garbage, uh, the life of the band, and but people were telling me, the reports came in, that you it was really quiet on stage and everything was like the, the drums were kind of uh, triggering rather than acoustic drums. What was going on at that? You were like almost bringing a studio sound to the stage. Well, yeah, it was uh, quite daunting. Uh, putting together those first garbage tours 
I, I played drum workshop drums for a long time. So I had a drum workshop kit, but then we deadened the drums down. So they were just completely dead, like put towels and styrofoam inside them, the mm. kick, even the snares. So kind of like hitting pads, like, you know, you know, when you do a video and they deaden everything down, right? Yeah. except yeah. the symbols, the symbols were still alive, all totally alive. But then we put plexiglass around the symbols. Yeah. So they wouldn't go out into the stage. And so Shirley could move around and, 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 uh, and then I used, you, you guys probably played with this. Uh, it was the D drum three was the first or one of the uh, triggers back then that right. it was the reason I got it is was fast. It triggered like two or three milliseconds. So there wasn't a lag when you hit it. Yeah. And, uh, and so we, and it, it was mono and only eight bit, but you could put a sample in and it sounded pretty good. So I, I took the samples from the garbage songs from each song and I could load it in for say vow or queer or stupid girl or whatever. And then you could change it from song to song. So I'd hit the drums and there were no mics on the acoustic drums, just two overheads on the cymbals. And then, so my mix was all playing the acoustic drums, but triggering the samples. And it was a little uh, archaic and we uh, we figured out how to make it. It, so it sounded, our sound man uh, grew to love it because you didn't have all the bombast of all the drums. And Shirley, of course, loved it because the stage was quiet, you know, so she could sing really dynamic. Um, the last, for the last uh, four tours, um, I started playing the role in TD50X. Uh, that it's a, it's, so it's a dedicated electronic kit and it has its own built-in samples. But uh, like in the past, I load in my own garbage samples. So each song when we started, it loads up and I've got all my custom kicks and snares and stuff. And this is great because it's 24 bit and stereo and wow. it's, it sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, if you stand on the stage and we all wear inner ears, there's no wedges on stage. So if you stand on the side of the stage, you don't hear anything. No. You hear me tapping on the tick, 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 and you hear Shirley singing. And, and the, of course it's blaring through the PA. So, uh, but it, it's, everyone loves it because it allows everyone, their headphone mix is really good, really clear. Cause you're you don't have to fight with all of the state, the stage volume, you know, no so, spill. and I think that's honestly one of the reasons we're still able to go out and, and, and tour it because uh, it, it's, it sounds good and it's not, you know, you can come home from a tour in the, I used to come before I was in garbage, I'd go on tour with some of my bands and my ears would just ring for yeah. days. And I'm like, I, 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 uh, I got very nervous about that because I'm a record producer, you know, I, I want to yeah. protect my ears as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Right. We can't hear anything. I, I have these in, yes. well, no, no. Um, I've got my in-ears in now because it's, they're just, I just get comfortable with them. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do remember when I first started to wear them. I mean, I was wearing headphones quite early on with the Banshees just because we wanted to get the wedges off the stage. We put the wedges under the stage, but I didn't want anything, we didn't want anything blocking the projection at the back. So it was more like a, a visual decision. Yeah, yeah. But it, I, I, I never liked people with headphones on, you know, because it looked too studio. So the in is a kind of, Great because we don't see them. Yeah, but everybody's got to have them. Otherwise, uh, the situation with me on the John Grant tour was there was very little going on on stage. Everything was DI'd uh, except my kit, and the kit was live. And the clubs we were playing small venues, so the sound was great. But I, but <laughs> so you'd have an acoustic guitar and an electric piano. And then suddenly I'd come in, <laughs> big entry. And there's like, I'm sure in the front row, all you're going to hear is drum kit. And I thought, I, it was really odd. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how do we do this? You know, is it was 
kind of a bit of a head head mess up, you know. We uh, garbage went to the Royal Albert Hall and played the James Bond. I think it was the 60th anniversary. Okay. Um, they asked us to to play. We did that theme song, "The World Is Not Enough," and um, mm. with, so we went in the day before and did a rehearsal, and it was great. So I'm listening to Shirley Bassey, you know, you know like with a 70 piece orchestra. It sounded so frigging good. And then they go, "Okay, garbage, you're up next." And and they, I rolled out my TD50, the the electric kit. And the orchestra stood up and went, we're so glad you're not playing acoustic drums. Because <laughs> I was right. They sat me up right next to the conductor. Yeah. And if I'd been playing a kit, you know, I'd play that song pretty hard. And right. it would have been crap, boom, gaka, boom, gaba, boom, gaka, boom, ba. Instead, I'm just tapping away and you can hear the strings and, and they and they put my drums and everybody, you know, they all wear a little, have inner ear things so they can hear the conductor and whatever. And and uh, it sounded great. Everybody who was at the, I mean, I, I heard some of the feed that it was broadcast and I thought that the mix sounded fantastic. There's moments though, when, when you enjoy that thing though, like the, the loudness of the drums. Cause I, I played in LA with, with like this, um, I guess it's sort of like, it's like a, a comedy show and they have a band and stuff. And they put together the band and it's just all different people. And so I would play with that from time to time. And I had like a little cocktail kit, you know, a little Tamo cocktail kit that had like samples on it. And I could play with that. But I always made sure I had the big crash right in front of me because that's where the horn players would sit in front of me, you know. And yeah, yeah. Loud bastards and, you know, like <laughs> dropping bits of spit out their things and that. So yeah, yeah. every so often when I wanted them to get a few... F- further you know a little further away i would smash the crash really loud you know and they'd all move forward a couple of feet and that they're, they're lovely fellows so really <laughs> yeah i mean i if you look through my door back here i've got i've got a td50 set up as a practice kit and then i have my yeah. dw kit up that's wired so i can record drums here and i i still love playing the acoustic kit it's uh there's nothing like it you know it's like it's a certain feel about it it's like therapy playing drums is therapy you know yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it's therapy, and also it's uh, it's good good exercise for us as we get older as well. Yeah, man. What about the Roland sample pads? You know, the, like their little uh, the Roland sample pad because I'm thinking of calling them up and getting myself. Oh yeah, I, I've got a bunch of uh, electronic drum things here. Yeah. Um, not all set up here right now, but in in the room out there, and I, I we always have that, you know, because we sort of take a lot of uh, samples and things in garbage when we're recording and put it in so you can play them. I, I might sample it, might be noise, right. but I like to be able to play it with sticks or with my hands, and so mm. that's part of how we record. Good, good, absolutely. Well, that's great because that's that's what we're 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 refining that because we we made this record, you know, and I had a look. I had all the multi tracks the other day because I'm putting them on, you know, like put them in ableton or something to play you know for the suitcase thing yeah i'm looking at them and there's like some tracks some tracks on the album 70 tracks <laughs> oh my god how am <laughs> I, we can't put that in ableton i won't be able to see it so you have to comp everything down you know like oh. gotta gotta submix it all down yeah make stems yeah submix it all down and make make a choice do we really need that sound of the um you know, the sausage waving outside in the air or <laughs> whatever it was, you know. Uh, Is that really an important part of the track? I have to 
ask myself that every time we mix a garbage song, you know, we're making a new effort because by the time we're done, there's like over a hundred tracks and you're mixing in the bridge. There's this thing that comes in. Does that really need to be there? And you know, whoever came up with the part, of course it needs to be there. I worked, yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked for hours on that little fiddly part there. I and mean, you go, eh, let's just mute it and see what it sounds like. And, um, but that's the great thing about recording these days. The technology is just amazing. It allows you to try anything and yeah. you can just, oh, let's take the course and just drop it in here and see what that sounds like. Or take this riff and put it on the end. And, yeah, gone, gone are the days of uh, razor blade and endless bits of tape. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, do, 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 in, I mean, I give us some uh, behind the scenes uh, for instance, was never mind recorded in straight takes. Yep, on tape. Yep. Yeah. And I, I was the king of razor blade editing back in the day. I mean, I was was really good at it. And the fastest blade in the West. I, yeah, I would have a band play three or four takes and say, "Okay, go to the pub and get a beer and come back in forty-five minutes, and I'll put a master take together." And it was great. You were confident. You sent them off to the pub between <laughs> takes. That's like four takes. You go off to the pub. You know they could not come back and recreate that. I want you to play like you did in the first take. They go, sure, no problem. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah. we're pros. We yeah. just been down half, half speed or twice the speed. Yeah. I think as I was a because yeah, I was a drummer, I knew okay, take two is good, but the fills on three were good, and the intro was best on take one. So I usually I would take notes and go. Right. I, I, I'm pre pretty sure we've got it. Now, now, now go to the pub. <laughs> we did that with um, we did that with a bit with with sort of the modern alternative with this record. We, you know, Budgie stayed at my house and we would drive every day up to Topanga and we would sit in the studio with Jackknife and we we play records, we drink coffee, we talk, and then we go, should we make some music? And we go and make some music, and then about dinner time we we'd head off home, and the next morning we'd come back up and and he'd you know press press play and he'd go. What do you think? And suddenly there was this this big track that you know he'd assembled out of all the nonsense we played. It's so, great. great, yeah, it's great, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's very much how garbage works too. It's it, but it's fun. It's exciting because when you go into the studio, you come up with ideas and you don't know where it's going to end up. It's it's just kind of this crazy adventure, and it's exciting. We all remember like heading to the studio and sort of like you you sort of you're kind of circling round the the point of entering the arena or <laughs> setup whether you're set up in the round or you're all in separate booths uh, yeah are you actually all in the same mood at the same time are we going to hit it are we going to and you know from you just look across the studio and you think, oh, God, no, no, they're never going to do it. They're just like, no, they're not even here. But you've you've got like two hours before dinner and then it's not going to happen. <laughs> two hours left, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moments of like doubt come like the extra push to get to get it this time. And also then there's a mistake and the mistake was better than anything you could have planned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and then if you've got somebody with a good razor blade, they can actually cut it in and make it work in the real take. Well, the, there's, the secret is, is to know what's a good happy accident. What's a bad happy accident. Cause when, yeah. when, when there was just down to two of us in the cure, just me and, and, and Bob, we, 
we made a, a single with we, for, for the first time we had a producer producer not just an engineer that helped us produce stuff and we had steve nye who had worked with japan and stuff yeah and and so we got a whole load of uh like oberheim you know sequences drum machine the keyboards and you know that was my job to try and put it all together and make it work and i'm looking at it all and uh you know, at the beginning of the walk, there's like this big note that just kept chiming every time. And I couldn't figure out a way. How how can we turn that off in the sequence? How we can't turn it off. And so we just kept it in the song. And it's, yeah. it's there. It's the start <laughs> of the song. But I always remember Steve Nye said to me, I was I was hitting buttons and trying to figure out what, what was going on. And I was getting frustrated. And he turned around to me and he said, Lowell, do you, do you know what that needs? That, that You know, what you're doing? I said, no. I if you could help me he went yeah yeah it's it needs some rfm i said what's rfm steve he said read the fucking manual <laughs> <laughs> which i did where do you mean do you mean frequency <laughs> modulation or read the friggin' manual yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> right right yeah yeah i mean i i'm i don't read manuals uh, i sort of like to get something and just start trying to figure it out and then i'm going fucking this isn't working god you know and usually you can get it to work but occasionally i grudgingly i can't get any sound so i so i you know these days you can go on youtube and go how do you use this particular software thing and then there's somebody going do this so you can get sound up pretty quick but right I, I like to sort of just get it and see if i can figure it out intuitively without having to spend an hour reading a manual you might know this story. I was told this story by Talvin Singh, good old friend, tabla player. Yeah. Tabla, Talvin played with Bjork and toured America with us on the, on the Lollapalooza tour, that first one. Um, but he, he was saying that um, when in Bollywood, in, in, they, they, they received all these old uh, Telefunken um, desks and recording equipment from Germany. And of course, all the manuals were in German. So they just switched everything on and they figured it was all going correctly when when everything was in the red. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why all these Bollywood productions, the early recordings, are all kind of... Yeah, crunchy. yeah, crunchy. You're right, they're kind of crunchy. Yeah, and the, the, the string sound, the big orchestra sound... <laughs> tape overload completely and that's the sound of the that, that, and without and then they get used to doing that they get used to that sound so then they just do it over and over again because that's the way it's supposed to sound had they read the friggin manual we wouldn't have had that sound <laughs> you know the, the other thing like you were saying like you know like nowadays because you know everybody has one of these he said holding up his phone um I just put it on a tripod and and I get uh, Jack Knife to explain to me what he's doing and we film it. You know, ah, that's how, yeah. how I did it this weekend. Like, you know, doing all these tracks together. Let me just film it and we'll sit there. Now you have to remember not to swear too much while you're doing it. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I was going to sort of think, well, how should we, you know, round things up a bit? Because we could talk about drums all night and we could talk about gear and stuff. All bloody night. We could even talk about the studio that you did. Um, never mind, because I was in there a few months later. It's out in Burbank, was it? Somewhere like that. Right? It's in the valley near, I yeah. guess, technically, 
Van Nuys and you go up the five or the four hundred five, whatever. It's in a, like a nondescript, uh, like a mall, you know. Yeah. So because I had this, I had this this thing with it at the time, you know. Because at the time I left the Cure, I got my first post Cure band together, and we had a deal with uh, some label in Chicago, and they put us in there, and I was thinking. You know, oh, this is. I heard there was this record made in here. So it's, we we got to we got to do something because like all these plaid coated guys are killing us. You know, they they because it was it was like you couldn't get arrested with with anything for a while there with you know like grunge, Nirvana, everything. That was that was the whole deal. You know, and we were like, oh, okay, well, might as well might as well stop. We went in there with um, John Porter, who who did the the Smiths and stuff. and Roxy Music. Yeah. He produced Roxy Music yeah, too. Yeah. So it was it was good. It was good fun, but um we, we were under heavy manners a bit because we, we knew we saw the writing on the wall what's coming next, you know. Yeah. And uh, we weren't it at that moment. I tell you what I've just been listening to. Um somebody I was in this old car I have over here in France, just sits around, it's okay, it's an old it's got a cassette machine anyway, it's got a cassette cassette player in it. And I've also got all the old boxes of cassettes and vinyl down here as well, which would have been the storage for ages. And um, my son, who's uh, nine, he's, he armed himself with all the cassettes. Let's see if the cassette player's working, Daddy. And he puts in a compilation sent to me, I remember ages ago, of old of reggae dub stuff. Uh, put together in a kind of wow that was probably great it's great it's just put together in a, a way that you would if you were like a dj and it, so everything nothing stops just continues but it's like the song and then it breaks down into a dub kind of session and then the next track starts so i remember a song called it was, it's this one and i remember it was 18 with a bullet yes got my finger on the trigger i'm gonna pull it and they're just like beautiful vocals yeah. Then they catch a, vo- a, a note or a chord and jank, 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 jank. And for the longest time, nothing happens. And then the beat comes back in. <laughs> I thought the bravery yeah. of pulling everything to pieces and letting it come back together, it was so creative. Uh, so I'm interested to, think, to hear what Cosmo thought of it interesting because he's he's a trumpet player and he's he's really and, he, and he's noticing that that the tonalities and stuff there yeah. and um it's amazing what kids pick up on when you think this is really cool and they go like well i'm not sure you like it's a bit, a bit complicated <laughs> yeah. yeah we have a, a we have a really good reggae dub spotify list that we play it's like two or three hours backstage at garbage sometimes it's hard Hard to be in a bad mood when you put on a kick-ass reggae dub thing. <laughs> I think it's yeah. called like the summer sound system or something. You put it on, and people, the crew, people are going by. What are you guys playing back there? It's just I don't even know all the artists. It's something randomly that we've been putting into a Spotify list for a while. But it's great. Every time you put it on, you, you makes you feel good. It's interesting how you can hear the beginnings of rap coming through from the toasting of the MCs, you know. The totally, totally. Ding, bap, you know. They're just kind of riffing on on words, and they always had certain notes they'd use as well, regardless of what the key was. Um, it's rhythmic stuff, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then I remember on that Insomnia tour where I was just taking uh, photographs, uh, LL Cool J's uh, Rock the Bells had just come out, and run dmc and i loved all that stuff and i wanted to play like that 
you know, like I wanted to play like Kraftwerk when I heard Kraftwerk for the first time. It, it was really funny the way, as a drummer, you could change your identity, you know, within the band, and it totally changed the band. Totally, yeah. I, I've got a title for your new book then, M- Musical Insomniac. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, if, if I could be insomniac now, I'd, I'd probably write a lot more. <laughs> yeah. So at three a.m., budgie, you put on, you take photos out of the window, and you put on a, a dub, the dub sound system, man, and just <laughs> stare out into space at that hotel window. <laughs> but thanks for coming on. It's just it is it's an honor, really. I got dressed up, you know. In, in your honor because um, <laughs> right on yeah thank you thanks so much cool well I, I appreciate it. it's like i said this was really a, a, a treat i have much respect for both of you i'm super excited to hear your album oh, i will yeah. uh, i'll check it out well we'll send you a copy we will we must do yeah gentlemen it was awesome a pleasure uh, and maybe let's do it again you know if you if you run out of gas at some point just give me a call yeah, yeah, we'll just circle around. Okay. Yeah, we'll circle it around, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks so much. It's great talking to you. Have a good one. Cheers. Curious Creatures is presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer, and audio design, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Associate producer and digital marketing, Marge Taylor. Visual designer, Justin Thomas K. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Assistant editor, Ben Miller. Curious Creatures is on the web, and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cura Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2024.